and welcome that you've given me and my family this weekend. Uh, in particular, you know, I, I, I don't think I've talked to a single person who's not asked me how my kids are, are g- dealing with, with a potential transition of this caliber. Uh, and, and that communicates a lot to me. And so thank you for that. Um, you guys are awesome and, and have done a lot to make all this happen. Uh, and so I thank you. Um, but now let's just uh, acknowledge the awkwardness, okay? Because right now this feels an awful lot like American Idol. <laughs> right? Trying to figure out, am I going to get the golden ticket? Am I going to Hollywood or not? And that's a danger. That's a danger for me and it's a danger for you. The danger for me is in the fact that um, I, can make, I can confuse what this time is about. Because this isn't about me. Um, it should never be about the one who's speaking, right? The other danger, of course, is with y'all because it, it would be very easy to be sitting in evaluation mode instead of uh, eager anticipation of the Lord Jesus speaking to you. And so as we pray here in a minute, I would just ask that you remember me in your prayers and pray for yourselves as well. Um, if you've got your place in 2 Corinthians, uh, I would invite you to stand. I think you guys do that here, uh, as we do in, in Stanton. In honor of God's word, we are uh, in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verses 5 to 10. This is God's word to us. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Friends, this is God's word given so that we would flourish. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, have mercy on us this morning. So many things conspire to pull us out from hearing from you. So many things in me conspire to making, um, to taking the, the, the spotlight off of you. And so I ask in your mercy that you would not let us do that. I pray that you would let Jesus and everything he has done and everything that he is come to the forefront. Let everything else fall away, including the one who speaks. For you, O Lord, have the words of eternal life. And so speak for your servants are eager to listen. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. So um, the highlight of every, where, I, where I'm from, the highlight of every uh, leadership Christmas party, and I, I would imagine, you know, Christmas parties are upcoming, you probably have these too. The highlight of that is always the white elephant gift exchange. Um, and I'm not going to, uh, you know, talk about the gifts that are exchanged at these events because there is a vote coming. But um, white elephant gift exchange, you know, it's where you wrap up gifts. Some of them are going to be good, okay? Some of them are going to be not good. And then the whole part is that you kind of exchange them around. But here's what I do know about white elephant gift exchanges. Never trust the elaborately packaged gift. Right? 
In, in my congregation, there is a particular elder's wife. Her name's Pat. Every gift is beautifully wrapped with elaborate bows and ribbons, and inside is junk. <laughs> junk. Never trust the elaborately wrapped gift. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard because I think everything in us really does want to believe that the packaging is the thing that's important. Or at least that the packaging gives a good sign of what's inside. Because why would you elaborately wrap up something that was junk? I think this is part of what gets us as Christians when we're trying to help people encounter Jesus. Because we have a certain vision for what a Christian is supposed to be like. If you're in leadership, or especially whether you're leading a life group or ministry team or anything, what a, what a Christian leader is supposed to look like, right? How elaborate the packaging should be. And so we always feel a little inadequate to the task. A little inadequate. How, I, I'm not sure that I can do this. But, but is that the case? Does the fact that people know us, hear us yell at our kids, Hear us vent our frustrations. Do those things disqualify us from talking about Jesus and his gospel? Well, here's what I hope we're going to see today. Um, and it's simply this. You and I are not the point. Jesus is. You and I are not the point. Jesus is. I believe there's an outline in your uh, worship guide. I was told that's, that's how we speak about it around here, or at least that's the way Megan wants us to talk about it. So we're going we're gonna to call it that, the worship guide. Um, if you're not familiar with Presbyterianism, taking notes is how we amen. And so you know this, right? You're laughing because you know it's true. You're like, hmm. And then you're writing down. So if I see your eyes down, I know, oh, okay, we're doing good. All right, so let me get into this. Let me set the scene for you as we get into this. So uh, this book is written by an early Christian leader by the name of Paul. If you love intense people, you'd love Paul. Uh, Paul was super intense. He zealously tried to persecute and destroy Christianity until he became a Christian. And then he zealously tried to promote Christianity. So he went from persecutor to promoter, uh, proselytizer even. And he planted this church that he's writing to in the ancient city of Corinth. Corinth is in Greece. Um, and Corinth was a city that uh, was, had, had tons of problems, but it was also a city that was big on presentation. It was a philosophical city, college town. You know a little bit of something about that. It was a diverse city. And often in Corinth, as in much of the ancient world, but especially in Corinth, the power of the message seemed to be wrapped up in the presentation of the messenger. Right? How good were they at speaking? Um, how, how amazing was their affect when they were up? Are they, are, we're not really working on content. We're looking on them. You with me? That's not weird. Honestly, if you're a student of political science, you know that everything changed in political politics in 1960 with the televised debate between Richard Nixon and JFK. Okay? And that's because if you watched it on television, you were convinced Kennedy won. But if you listened to it on the radio, you were convinced Nixon won. That shouldn't be strange. Richard Nixon looked like a Simpsons character. <laughs> right? JFK was like a male model. So it was really easy when you're looking at these different people to, under, to, to, to kind of assume something about them because of the way they looked. 
Everything in our culture at that moment changed from message to messenger. At that point, it didn't matter so much the substance of an argument as it did the way the person presented, especially on film, on camera, because we don't do film anymore, on camera. Corinth was the same. So after Paul leaves Corinth to plant new churches, these other teachers come down, and they call themselves super apostles. It's a little precocious, but okay. I was thinking of taking the title of super pastor, but I figured I would need to have abs or something to pull that off, and I don't. So anyway, these guys who are impressive speakers are trying to gain the favor of that church. And so Paul is writing them to remind them of the whole point of what faith is about. The whole point of what a messenger of the gospel should look like. And he talks about, he begins by talking about this great message. If you've got your Bible open, look down at verses 5 and 6, because Paul says this. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay. So that is full of very churchy language. And if you're new to church... Uh, or you're not a Christian, and not everyone in this room is, is probably a Christian. Let me, let me kind of uh, flesh out what we're talking about there. Basically, the first thing we see about this is that Paul says, we aren't here to talk about ourselves, but about Jesus. Did you see that? What he means is basically this. The central message of Christianity is not about us. Now, some of you are thinking right now, of course it isn't. Of course it's not about us, but... I would ask, like, stay checked in because I, I think it may surprise you how we can get confused in this. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but second thing Paul says is that the same God who sovereignly created is the one who sovereignly rescued. And that's important, so listen close. The Christian message is that by nature all of us, men, women, children, no matter your, your ethnicity, no matter your uh, family of origin, that all of us, are born into this state that the Bible calls sin. And don't get, don't get hung up on the language. Basically what it means is that all of us are born bent away from God, bent away, convinced that by nature we cannot, we cannot trust God. And in fact, that we must be, and we can be, independent from him. You with me? That's what the Bible calls a state of sin. Now sure, we all do that differently. Some of us do that very morally and religiously because we want, we want to show God that we're good enough apart from him, right? Some of us struggle with that. We're good rule keepers. Others of us do that through uh, more immoral, so maybe, maybe irreligiously doing it through trying to find satisfaction apart from God. I can find something in my life that'll fill me that's not him. But everything is basically the same. We all do it. The New Testament describes us as being dead in our transgression, and dead people can't really do a whole lot. I think we can agree on that. So what Paul is saying is that the same God who spoke creation into being spoke faith into those of us who are Christians, right? Spoke faith into us so that we could have the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And as soon as we hear that, some of us get offended because we're like, wait a minute, what about my decisions? What about what I bring to the table? Uh, and, and all my effort, all my choices. And, and I would say just, listen, this is important because what Paul is saying is the gospel is about God's grace, which is another way of saying a favor that we didn't earn, or his unmerited favor to us. And if it's about that, if that's what it's about, then it cannot be about how much better we are or smarter than our neighbors we are or how much more we have it together, how much more sensitive to religious things. It has to be about his grace. That's what makes the 
message so amazing, right? It's what makes it so great in the first place. It's talking about people who could care less about God being reconciled to him because of him. People who not only were, were uh, I don't know, neutral towards him, but enemies and saying he's going to go and actually rescue them from that state because he is loving and he is gracious. So then Paul talks about not just a, a, a strong message, but a weak messenger. Look down at verse 7. He says, uh, look, he's like, th- listen, this is about God and his sovereignty, his love, his grace. And then he continues in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is awesome. So listen close. The treasure, first and foremost, this treasure that we have in jars of clay, that is the message. right? That is the message that we have. It is, it is not rules to follow. It's a person to know. It's not, a, it's not a path you need to follow to get to God. It's, a, it's news about the path that God took to get to you. Right? And Paul says that we have that in, in, in jars of clay or earthenware vessels, depending on your translation. Okay? But what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Okay, here it is. On the one hand, it could mean just a clay pot. All right? In the ancient world, you didn't have Tupperware, so everything was stored in clay pots. They were easy to make. They were rather disposable, right, because they broke really easily. And so it could just mean that. That would make sense. Paul would be communicating something very clear in that because they're incredibly fragile. You drop the pot, it breaks, no matter how good the stuff inside is, right? Okay, that's, that's certainly possible. But there, I think there's something else going on there. In Corinth at the time, they had these lamps. And the way the lamp was constructed was you took clay and, and you formed it into a pot. And then you formed it so thin that when you put a candle inside, the light would shine through it. Right? The sides of the pot were so thin that light would shine through it. The pot had no light. In fact, the pot would have been even more fragile than your standard Dead Sea Tupperware. Right? It's just more fragile than that because it had been sculpted so thin. But it was that way. Listen close. It was that way so that the light inside could come through. It was designed that way for a reason. Paul is saying that we, all Christians certainly, because we're all called to be messengers of the gospel, but especially Christian leaders, we are weak, frail, thinly sculpted people, so that the light of what we carry around, the treasure of this message, can shine through adequately. Paul's entire point is the message is supposed to be a fragile vessel, not a pretty, fancy pitcher. Not that crystal pitcher you pull out when guests come over. Paul is calling us not to forget that the point of Christianity is not us. It's Jesus. It's not us. Now, some of you are thinking right now, I'd never confuse that. I mean, of course it's about Jesus. I've been doing this a long time. Well, don't be so quick to think that, okay? Let's focus on the focus. Look, some of us, when it comes to being a public Christian, whether that is in our neighborhood, with our neighbors, in our workplace, with our coworkers, uh, in our home, family, friends, in school, we think to ourselves, I'm not a very good representative of this whole thing, don't we? My life's too jacked up. 
you know, I, I lose my patience too quickly, or just plain, like, I'm too scared of people calling me a hypocrite. Can I tell you that at that point, we have confused the message with the messenger. We've confused it. The whole point, the whole point Paul is making is that the gospel is not come be impressive like me. The gospel is not come be good like me. Some of us have confused that. Some of us raised in context where that was the case. And it's no wonder when we've been raised in context where that is the case, we find Christianity so difficult to either believe or to find appealing enough to think it's something our neighbors and our friends need to know. Right? I mean, how good, how good of a news is come be good like me? I mean, if you're anything like me, it's terrible news. Because I know I can't be. I'm arrogant about a lot of things, but not that. Of course you are someone who obviously needs saving. If you weren't, God wouldn't have sent Jesus to become flesh to rescue you. If you didn't need grace, Jesus wouldn't have died. I mean, that's what Paul says in another place when he says, you know, I do not nullify the, the grace of God. For if, if righteousness, if, if being made right with God came through works, came through law, came through doing better, then Jesus died for nothing, right? Listen, the Spirit of God changes us. Because some of you are thinking right now, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, Rick. I've been a Christian a long time. What about this? Word, sanctification, which means being made more like Christ. Yeah, okay. Yes, the Spirit of God changes us. That is not the gospel. The Spirit of God works in us and transforms us, making us more like Jesus. But that is not the gospel. He can empower us and give us joy and peace. But that is not the gospel. God can heal. God can do amazing things in us. But that is not the gospel. Those are effects of the gospel. Those are the effects of the gospel in our lives. The gospel is about Jesus. It is about a great Savior saving great sinners, which means the focus needs to be on him and not on us. In fact, if you were actually believe what this, this crazy dude wrote in, in, a, in his first letter to these Corinthians, the entire point of you being in Christ is the fact that you weren't wise, powerful, or had it together. You were a nothing. And Jesus saved you so that he might show the somethings what he values. Right? That is what Paul is talking about. So that's the message in the messenger. Now Paul breaks into this litany that I think highlights what it is to be a normal Christian. Look down at verses 8 through 9. Paul says, We are afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. All right. Very great language, but what does it mean? Afflicted, um, literally in, in the original, means to be annoyed <laughs> or troubled, right? It's speaking to the experience of feeling pressures in life that are a little grating, a little grinding on us, particularly of the Christian experience. It is to be burdened, but not crushed. In other words, Paul is saying, we, that is normal Christians, like you and me, but also apostles, like Paul, experience the burdens of life and the pressures of life. We experience that. That's normal. But we're not crushed by them. 
We're not crushed by them. There is no rise above it mentality here, is there? There's no best life now or too blessed to be stressed nonsense. It is normal for us to experience these things. Perplexed, when he says perplexed, it means to be at a loss or confused. And this is going to push on us because we're in a Presbyterian church. To be at loss or confused, that is the experience of not having answers. Not knowing why something is going on. Looking around at the world, looking around at your home, looking around at your workplace and going, I don't get it. Not making sense out of things. And Paul says, yes, we. We, which means Paul, right? The guy who, the guy who had a, an experience of the risen Christ, the guy who, who says he got, he got a vision of the third heaven, like he got to go see what it's all about one day. He's going, even I get perplexed. I don't understand why it's going on. But we don't fall into despair. Despair is that sense of utter hopelessness, that nothing will ever change and that we are alone in the world. He says, I, just because we, we can experience this sense of, I don't understand why things are happening. My answers don't line up with the questions. He can say, but that's not going to lead me to despair. We, we're not going to despair over that. It's not going to lead me to hopelessness, not to lead me to feel alone. Persecuted means to be treated with contempt. It can mean for your faith, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Paul says, yeah, I know what it's like to bear the contempt of others, but I'm not abandoned. To bear the contempt of others is that experience of people not liking you, even actually hating you because of something about you. Like I said, maybe it's your faith. Maybe it's not. Maybe they just don't like you. People don't like us, right? It happens. Maybe it's something that reminds them of something missing in them. Maybe it's something they wish they had. Maybe it's just because. But bearing the contempt of others is an incredibly lonely experience, right? You've experienced it. I know you have. Paul is saying, even in that, we, even an apostle, is not abandoned. We aren't alone. Struck down literally means to be thrown out. It's the experience of being attacked or sabotaged or even just an utter failure. It is that fear of that utter ruin that all of us have, like, that when it happens, our life will just collapse in on itself, right? That failure. Paul says, yeah, we go through that too, but we're not destroyed. So here's, here's why this particular one is probably surprising. We exist, and by that, I, I don't mean Christians exclusively. I, I particularly mean Americans culturally. We live believing that God exists to make our lives better. Don't we? Even, listen, even if you've been walking with Jesus longer than I've been alive, everything in our culture is, is discipling us every day to believe that God exists to make our lives better. We think that being a Christian will mean not experiencing everything he just said. Not having to bear contempt. Not having to feel like your, your answers don't add up to the questions. Not, not having to feel uh, like, like you've been disliked for whatever reason. And that is why we get surprised when the bad stuff comes. That's why we get surprised when we mess up. That's why we get surprised when, when life doesn't make sense. Shouldn't it now? Now that we have Jesus, shouldn't it all kind of work out? 
Shouldn't it make sense? Isn't that what, isn't that what we were sold? Paul is saying that faith in Jesus doesn't take things, these things away. Let me say that again. Paul is saying that faith in Jesus does not take these things away. It simply relativizes them. Here's what I mean. Every one of those statements he makes has a but after it. Right? Persecuted but not abandoned. Why? Because when we're persecuted, we think we're being abandoned. But Paul is saying, he's not saying it's not a bad experience. He's saying it's not an ultimate one. It's not that these things are good. We're not idiots. Of course it's not good to be persecuted. Of course it's not good to be perplexed. Of course it's not good to be all of these things. But they, want, they aren't ultimate. There's something else that's more ultimate. Because these experiences remain but having our deepest needs met in Christ, in Jesus, means that these experiences can't take away what Jesus has given us. That in fact, because we didn't do anything to earn it with him, there's nothing we can do or anyone else can do to lose it. And that leads to Paul's closing statement. Look down at verse 10. He says, always carrying around the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our bodies. Okay, so let me break this down. The death of Jesus is not like some mystical thing we're carrying around, like I have inside me the death of Jesus, and I'm not entirely certain what that is, but it sounds like a bad thing. What he's talking about is that we are all the time bearing this image of the death of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means being weak, being vulnerable, and being frail. Think about it. Jesus died. Duh. Jesus died. Can you think of anything less godly, less godlike, let's put it that way, than dying, being humiliated, being vulnerable? One of the reasons that makes Christianity and the cross of Christ especially so bizarre to us, and, and listen, it is, like, let's be honest, is because if we would think to ourselves, if I were God, that is the last thing I would do. I have way better things to do on a Friday afternoon than climb up on a cross and suffocate to death. Right? If I'm God, if anyone could have claimed that such an experience shouldn't have happened to him, it was Jesus, right? But Jesus experienced it. And Paul is saying, that we always, and if you have your Bible, I would have you underline that word in particular. Always carry around in our bodies this experience of being weak and vulnerable and fragile. We always do this. And if you're young, you don't realize this yet, right? Because you still think you have everything ahead of you. Listen, when I was in my 20s, I thought I could conquer the world too. And then I just got tired, right? It's just like, I got, uh, uh, I don't have it anymore. But we always have this experience of being weak and vulnerable and fragile, and we do that for a purpose, so that the life of Jesus, that is, his resurrection power, might also be revealed. So Paul is coming back to the fact that our experience right now, our experience right now of brokenness, 
continues so that Jesus' power, his goodness, and his glorious work can be revealed in us. You and I are not the point. Jesus is. And that allows us to embrace our brokenness. Listen, so long as you believe that you are a little sinner with little sins, needing a little help to make you a little more presentable, you will always have a little Savior who is helpful to no one. And if that's what you're thinking, that's what you're believing, no wonder it makes it hard to talk to other people about Jesus. Why would they need him? Because you look at your friends and your neighbors, and listen, most of us, we're going to look at our friends and neighbors and go, they look like they're doing just fine. Maybe even better than me. So why would I want, why would I need to offer them a little savior to deal with their little sins and make them a little more presentable? They're pretty presentable already. But if you tell the truth, if you embrace your own brokenness, if you see and present yourself as a big sinner with deep sins, needing to be completely not reformed, but reborn, then you will find an enormous Savior who can save anybody. Of course you're going to blow it, right? Of course you're going to mess up. Of course you lose it with your kids once in a while. Of course you struggle with things you don't want people to know about. Of course you don't know why someone you love has cancer. Of course, you don't trust God all the time, and you still have doubts. Of course you do. So do I. Who told you that you wouldn't? Who told you that? I can tell you who didn't. God. Because you're not going to find that in the scriptures. Even Paul says, I'm perplexed. Even Paul, I don't understand it all, guys. I'm perplexed. I don't get it all the time. See, the Corinthians thought that what made the gospel more compelling were these powerful, seemingly perfect presenters of it. These super apostles would show up. They would have flair. They would have pizzazz. And and, and they would talk of their strength, their moral superiority. And people would think, wow, they have it all together. And because we're us, they went, as long as I am with that guy, I'm safe. I'm good. I know the path because if I can just become like them. And that's what we're still tempted to do with Christian leaders. That's what we're still tempted to do even with ourselves. But the gospel is not that you and I have it all together. Because here's the dirty little secret, and if you're not a Christian here, listen up, because this is very important. People in this room pretty up real nice. But we do not have it together. Many of us, if not all of us, will not make it out of that parking lot before we are angry and, and probably cussing out someone sitting right down the road from us because they cut us off. We're all yay Jesus in here. We love Jesus, and we do, but that doesn't change the other thing, right? 
Our hope is that throughout time that becomes less and less, but really what we mean is we'll begin to see more and more how deep our need is. Listen, I, I wrestle with my selfishness and my anger and my fear just like you do. I'm in process just like you are. And some of you are thinking, but Rick, they'll call me a hypocrite. You are. And so am I. And so are they. We have plenty of room for more hypocrites in this room. If a hypocrite is someone who is broken, desperately loved by God, and seeking every day just to love him back as a response to what he has already done for us, I'll take the title. And so should you. A Christian author by the name of Jim Packer wrote this. In, um, he, he wrote a very simple line, but I think it's really important for us to get, and that's the gospel is simply this. God saves sinners. That's me. That's you. What is compelling about the message is not how great the messenger is. I would, in fact, I would argue the more honest the messenger is, whether that's me or you, the more honest the messenger is about his or her neediness, the more compelling the message is to those who still think the church is for buttoned-up, responsible people who keep their noses clean. Because it's not. If I'm being honest with you, I am the least likely person to be up here doing this. The idea that a broken, angry kid from a broken family in rural Virginia would be a Christian let alone a pastor. It's nuts. But it's true because of all this. Because all this is about Jesus. Not me. Not you. It's about who we have faith in. Not those of us who have faith. It's about how he has met our need. And it is about the fact that though we still go through these same things that everyone else does, and we do, we do so with the promise that none of these things, nothing, in fact, can separate us from the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. I don't have all the answers. It's okay. You don't have to to trust a person. Some people don't like me. It's okay. The God of the universe does. Well, I'm experiencing this, this incredible failure. I got found out at work. I've been fudging things for a long time, and now my reputation is ruined. It's okay. You know, Jesus knew that when he died for you. And he loved you, even knowing it. There are bad things but they're not ultimate things. Because ultimately, it wasn't a circumstance, it wasn't our own accomplishment that got us the love of God. It was his gracious gift to you and me. Would you pray with me? Lord, we prayed at the beginning of this time that you would help us. You would help me to not see... Um, this time is a time to be sized up, evaluated. And you would help us as a congregation to not see this time as a time to have our checklists out, but instead to hear from you. And, and we trust that you've done that. As you do that, Lord, we, we ask that you would form UPC into a church that would embrace our reality because the reality of Jesus is so much greater. We are all these things that Paul has said.
And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to embrace that so that the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ might shine through us. We ask it in his name. Amen.